Hey there, my name is Jackie, and I am your host of the Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast. Remember to visit homeschoolthinktank.com to learn more about how we serve homeschooling families. Also, if you check the link in the show notes below, you can get more information about anything that is mentioned in this episode. I hope you enjoy this episode about homeschooling and parenting, and be sure to check in on Mondays for our episode that is all about mindset. Today, I am interviewing Holly Benson, and she is an inventor of Leggy Liner. She's an occupational therapist who specializes in helping kids learn how to write. My name is Jackie, and I am the host of the Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast. So welcome, Polly. Hi, thanks for having me. You're welcome. And just so our listeners and viewers know that if they want to learn more about you, they can go to homeschoolthinktank.com slash interviews, where all of my interviews are. And specifically for your little tool, if they decide they're interested in that or handwriting courses, homeschoolthinktank.com slash handwriting. And we'll have information about Polly there and the things that she offers. But I think our listeners are going to learn so much from you today. So a little about what we're going to talk about is how to help your kids learn how to write, when to start writing, but also if you have a child who's struggling with handwriting, how to help even older kids with handwriting too, which I think there's probably a pretty big need for that, Polly. I, you would know more yeah. than me. What do you think? Yeah, well, you know, absolutely. We I've worked with kids from pre-K through high school special needs and we have handwriting issues across the board. And even now with post COVID, we're seeing more kids struggling with handwriting because they didn't have the practice and the amount of practice that they were getting when they were in school versus being in virtual. So we're seeing some impacts from there as well. Oh, wow. I had not even thought about that. Now, since I have more of a homeschooling audience, that didn't occur to me, but you know, I would imagine too, there's plenty of homeschoolers now that weren't homeschoolers before COVID because they started right. during COVID and they're continuing and then just things in the world. There's always, it seems like a lot of people going to homeschooling. So right. why don't, before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and yeah, let's just go with that. Yeah. So um, basically I have been in practicing occupational therapy in the school system for over 20 years. Uh, I was a school-based OT. And then I also, of course, worked with my own children who have some special needs of their own. Um, but basically, you know, most of my experience has been in the school sitting. And so I also have taught continuing education across the country, both for technology and for handwriting. Okay, for technology and handwriting. So, yeah. you know, um, I actually really like having people like you on my podcast, even though like your experience is in the school setting. But what happens with that is you have so much experience with so many different kids. And I feel like as a homeschooling parent, that's something I really could have used more of over the years is like, I want to homeschool my kids, but I also want to borrow from your experience and be able to right. help my own children in that way. So I remember something I was wondering about when my daughter started writing with my oldest daughter, we would sit down every 
afternoon while her baby sister was up taking her a very short nap because she would hardly sleep. Right. <laughs> she, uh-huh. But we would, I would scrapbook in one corner and she had her own little desk in the other and she would color and draw and she taught herself to write like holding it, you know, with a fist. Right. And I honestly, it never occurred. It didn't occur to me in the moment. It occurred to me later that she was really learning those writing skills. And to be honest, I was never able to truly completely break that habit. And believe me, I tried. Um, Right. So at what point should a parent intervene with those natural drawing and, you know, the kids have the crayons and start, start correcting that handwriting position? (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you say that because it is a foundational skill, how you hold your pencil, how you hold your crayon. And so right away, as soon as the kids are starting to write or scribble, we should actually try to reposition their hand. Now, they may not be able to maintain that grasp for a very long time, but we're going to teach it to them. And so there's some little songs on the internet that you could look up on YouTube where how to hold your pencil correctly. Mm -hmm. Uh, But even so, just working on the tripod grasp, it's a three-point finger grasp and having the student pick up and pinch things with their three fingers. And so things like that can really be incorporated into every activity. For instance, if they're having a snack and it's um, some Cheerios or something on the tray, encouraging them to use two fingers to pick up those Cheerios versus using a fisted grasp to pick up the food and put it in their mouth. It's not only neater and they don't smash the food in their mouth as much, but we're also seeing that students will start to learn those uh, prehensile skills and pinching skills and helps to improve the um, palmer arch of their hand. So it's important when you are working on handwriting, one of the exercises that you want to look at is improving the palmer arch of the hand. And so that's the ability to cup. And that's like a making a bowl type of a, a in your hand. So cupping water and um, rolling dice and things like that will help to improve the palmar Mm. arch, which is increasing the musculature and the intrinsic muscles of the hand, which all then leads back to the proper pencil grasp and handwriting. Oh my gosh. I never would have even thought about these things like rolling dice. You don't even think about that as helping with handwriting. Right. I had no idea. (laughs) Yep. And it's important when they're rolling the dice to make them click. So that when you roll the dice in your hand, they click if they have a nice soft grasp and a nice cupping of their hand. But if they're holding tight, then they're not really working on that, um, the palmer arch of the hand in order to help with their grip. So when I'm gripping, you can see there's a little bit of a uh, curvature to the mm-hmm. palm when you're holding your pencil grasp. Another chip that and trick that we like to teach is put a bead, a penny, or something under these two fingers. Mm-hmm. And so that helps to differentiate the two sides of the hand. So we've got the gripping part of the hand for the pencil, which is the pre- prehensile small motor movement. 
And then you've got the gripping side on the right hand, and that's going to give you more stability in the wrist when you're doing your handwriting. Okay. So for the people who are listening specifically on the podcast, I want you to know you can go to homeschoolthinktank.com slash interviews or slash handwriting. And on one of those pages, you will find the video for, or at least a link to the video. So you can actually see this, but what Polly was doing is holding her, um, index finger and her middle finger against her thumb. And then, you know, sort of like, I looked at it like a duck. <laughs> like yeah. crack there. Yeah. And then the, her pinky, her fifth and fourth finger, the pinky and a ring finger, I suppose, ring finger against yeah. her palm. And you could hold a bead down there. Right. 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 And while pinching up higher. Hmm. Right. Oh, now are you, so would you hold a bead down below and like, practice picking up dice with the those other two fingers or something yeah like that. I mean there's a lot of things you can do with that so even whether you're not working on fine motor um, actual handwriting holding a pencil but have a student put a button or a penny or a bead in that fourth and fifth digit holding in their in their palm and then picking up something and putting it picking up and putting it you can do puzzle yeah. pieces from one side of the table to the other in a cup you can um, also use it, like I said, for snacking. You can uh, do pipe uh, beads on a pipe cleaner and pulling mm -hmm. them on and off. But you're always holding something in that palm, and that helps to strengthen the um, grasp for pencil writing. Oh, that's fantastic. I love this. So I don't know if you're familiar with this particular game, Polly. I have it on like... Um on a blog post about math games and then it's uh, homeschoolthinktank.com slash Tinsy. I actually did a blog post just on it. I love that game and yeah. it's all the colorful dice and there's a lot of dice games. Are you familiar with it? Well, I heard it on your podcast actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think like, Hey, this is something I had not thought about doing with dice you know, right. or something like that. But that's another way that parents could use those dice, that game, whoever would have even thought like, this is also with handwriting. You right. know, I just, right. I wouldn't have thought of it, but I'm always connecting dots. I'm a really good connector with people and things <laughs> like, oh, you yeah. could use this for this. And <laughs> so, right. yeah, right. that's awesome. So what other kind of ideas do you think parents need to have in the back of their mind as their children are learning how to write? And for those parents who have older kids, we're going to talk about older kids and kids who are struggling a little bit later, but let's stay on the, the beginning writers. What else do we need to know? Um, well, what I think is important, especially for your audience and things that I've learned through the years with homeschool parents is incorporating activities in your daily life that we aren't sitting down and practicing pencil grip, but maybe when you're in bathtub that you could take a washcloth and, and squeeze it and wring out the water into a cup. And then that will strengthen their hand grasp. Um, things like we have a, a, one of my favorite items to make is called a tennis ball buddy. And you slice a hole in a tennis ball that makes it look like a mouth. And you can add some fun eyes, either googly eyes or you can add marker eyes. And then when you squeeze the sides of the tennis ball, that opens up the mouth and you can feed it. So you can take it to the park and you can feed the tennis ball buddy rocks or you can sit while you're watching TV and feed the tennis ball buddy pennies. 
So trying to do things on, you know, in the car, when you're on the go, you know, we have some different resources that we've encouraged our homeschool parents that follow us to use that helps you while you're um, on the go, because it seems like we're always multitasking. And as mothers, we're, we're teaching, we're driving somewhere, we're always working with multiple kids at a time. And so trying to incorporate things that will improve their grasp, their pinch, their pencil uh, grip, all those things can be done while you're on the go. They don't have to be like a sit down and let's work right now on your pencil grip. Yeah, it's just fun. And that's, how I think, so right. much of how kids learn best is when they're having fun. And that, you know, a child doesn't even realize this. I'm thinking of my nephew, as you say this, he's autistic. And my sister's always using these sensory type of toys. And I think, and like, he carries buckets of cars around, like a hundred cars at a time, but he would probably love this, like driving the cars into this little tennis buddy or picking them up and I know my right. kids would have loved it as kids like yeah as little kids their kids are older now but right. you know like picking up rocks and collecting all the things they always collected and right yeah, that's awesome I that's such a fun idea it's so cheap well anything that you're working on two-handed activities is good too so if you're holding a bucket with one hand and then using the other hand you're isolating the sides of the body and so that can help with pencil grip and you can also learn a little bit more about the dominance for the child so what they're not going to choose their hand dominance until probably age four or five they may go back and forth for a while but um as you see that they're preferring one side or the other, you can help them by giving them something to hold in one hand and then use the other hand to um, provide like the one hand would be stability and the other hand would be movement. Okay. You know, I actually hadn't thought to ask you that question about hand dominance. And, you know, it seems like it's a pretty natural emergence, but I know mm -hmm. my oldest daughter, she's like ambidextrous. She's primarily right-handed but she's always in, she can write with her left hand and maybe not quite as well, but she's actually intentionally worked on the other hand as well. Okay. What do you think about that? I'm just curious about, you know, it's, I know back in, back in the day when my sister was trying to be like her natural hand dominance was left and all the teachers were trying to flip her to write. And it's absolutely a hundred percent important just to have the student go with the flow, you know, have, they will eventually choose. So it's not something we have to fight. It's not something that we have to try to encourage, you know, whether they're right-handed or left brain, each child is unique. Their developmental levels are unique, but you're going to start to see that as they're feeding themselves and as they're, reaching out to hold a cup and hold the bottle um, when they're playing games, what are, what foot are they kicking with? And are they trying both feet? And that's okay. So, you know, we're, we're looking at as they're developing um, to not try to force them into one dominant or the other. Like you, know, you said, your daughter, my son um, actually swings everything lefty. He's a left-handed skateboarder. He's a, a left-handed um, golfer, but his left-handed batter, but when he was throwing and riding, he was always right-handed. So it's, it just really depends on the student. That's really interesting. You know, as far as I was a physical education teacher and, you know, like kids sort of knowing their dominant leg with a cartwheel, that's a good way to, right. to know that. But I never thought about it as far as how it correlates with handedness. 
Yeah. Do most kids, do you know, I don't know this answer. Do you know if most kids are both right-footed and right-handed or if there's an opposition? I don't know the actual statistic, but I do know that more people in the world are right-handed than left-handed. Um, yes. And my understanding is if you're right-handed, you're left-brained. And if you're left-handed, you're more in your right brain. And so mm -hmm. the creativity can really become a component too. Hmm. That's really interesting. So um, before we move toward kids who are, you know, maybe a little later learners or struggling, is there anything else for younger kids who are beginning to write that you really think parents need to know this? And actually something I should ask you is at what point should a parent seek the help of an occupational therapist? of somebody who can, you know, what are signs that you need to get a little bit of support and help for your kids? Because these are, again, things I had no idea about as a mom. Right. A young mom. Um, yeah. You know, okay. To answer your first question, um, I think it's important to work with your pre-K and your younger beginner writers on the pinch strength and on their hand grasp. So um, a couple other things you can do kids love stickers. And so peeling stickers, um, how many times with my first child, I didn't realize I was peeling the sticker for them and giving them the sticker because I didn't want them to crumple the sticker page or to, you know, have trouble and get frustrated. But peeling a sticker is a very fine motor pinch task that they can do. Um, then placing those stickers on a line. So if I draw a line on a piece of construction paper and have the student put a sticker on the line, then I can cut through the stickers using my scissors. And that's going to help the student with a visual, where do I take my scissors up the line? So often when we're learning cutting skills, the student just is opening and closing the scissors and maybe their hand turns upside down and they don't really grasp the concept of following that line. So putting stickers on the line gives them a next uh, goal. Like, okay, I'm gonna cut through this sticker and then I'm gonna cut through the next sticker. And as they move up the paper, um, that gives them a visual goal as to where the scissors are supposed to go. Um, hmm. There's also some really fun like tricks and things you can use to help them keep their thumb on top. But when they're cutting with scissors, they turn their thumb upside down or they're trying to come around the paper, we're going to try to teach how to hold the paper and how to rotate the paper versus actually um, cutting around. So we see a lot of kids that cut around the paper. Okay. Um, to, to answer your second question, um, kids that are struggling um, and, you know, what types of things are we looking for? I think it's, you know, not everyone, not all children develop at the same pace, but there are some milestones that you can look up online specifically. I don't know them off the top of my head. I worked mostly with kids who were already struggling, but there are some specific developmental milestones as to when they should be able to hold a pencil, hold a crayon, cut with scissors, um, and those you can find on the internet. But I would say if, if you're giving your, your child some things to do and they're not picking it up, um, that might be a warning sign. For instance, if their other peers are able to hold a paintbrush and paint, but your student still can't hold the paintbrush without it falling. Like they need to be able to hold something tightly 
but then paint on paper lightly. So if you're seeing some discrepancies where maybe they have more hand strength and less shoulder strength or low tone in their body, maybe they're not sitting up straight like their peers. And so we're, we shouldn't compare to the peer, but if there's something you notice and then you try to work on that with your student and they're still struggling, then that might be time to check with an OT. And one of the things that I always have um, also felt the heart for a homeschool mom is a lot of times the schools provide free OT, but that homeschool mom has trouble getting that OT services because they have to go to a clinic or they have to pay for the outpatient services. Mm -hmm. And depending on the type of insurance you have, whether that's covered or not. So I have a lot of resources on my website and things regarding OT and for homeschool parents specifically, just because um, they're basic things that every parent should kind of know and be able to work with their student on. And one of the things that I, I think we talked about earlier was the handwriting lesson plans. And so mm-hmm. basically if your student has fine motor deficits and they need help with their handwriting, then a handwriting lesson plan designed and created by an OT is going to be more effective for that student than trying to struggle through a regular book that is designed just for tracing or copying or things like that. Oh, wow. I never would have thought of that. Um, And speaking of the handwriting lesson plans, Polly does have a, a curriculum, basically lesson plans that you can pay for. It's not very much. I don't want to say, I never like saying the prices in a podcast episode or video because those can change, but I will have a link to that in the link in this podcast episode or video, wherever you're finding this, you will find a link to all of Polly's things. I make sure that it's easy for you, but homeschoolthinktank.com slash interviews or homeschoolthinktank.com slash handwriting and you'll find the link to that. And you know what, before we go on any further into the struggling students, let's talk a little bit about the tool that you've developed. And it's, uh, and I I haven't gotten it in the mail yet. I know you're going to send me one, but I think this is so cool because what I've looked at, like even on Amazon and whatever, um, is that it's like a stamp and it rolls and you have lines and you could use it for handwriting. You could use it as staff lines if you do music, which I was actually thinking musical instruments are probably good for OT stuff. Um, You can speak to that if you want to in a minute and number lines, but what else do you have to add to that? Like in what variations of these things do you have? Yeah. So um, it started off with a one inch handwriting line with a broken baseline. And so that helps teach that pre-K student how to individually put their letters, spacing them apart because the broken baseline, we call it our spaces ledgy liner, helps the student to form their letter with a space between each letter. So it's an evenly spaced baseline. Um, The ledgy liners are rolling ink stamps that draw handwriting lines and then shapes for math, like boxes and squares. So instead of um, drawing a 10 frame, you can quickly roll out 10 frames in less than a second versus um, trying to draw 10 boxes at one time. Mm -hmm. We also have one called small squares, 
which are little tiny squares. But if you roll out, you can roll out 10, you can roll out 20, you can roll out as many as you need across your paper, and then you can work on patterns. You can work on your AB patterns, ABB patterns, and things like that. You can have your student put the color of the boxes, or they can put a bead in each box. You can have them use a hole puncher and squeeze the hole for each box, and that can help their hand strengthening. Um, our, our standard ledgy liner, a lot of moms are using them for little roads for their cars or to cut along the dashed line because oftentimes in our worksheets, the dashed line is where you cut. And so they'll draw a circle or a curve or something with the ledgy liner and then they cut up the middle. So it's a lot of uses. Like you said, the number line, that's great for older kids, maybe spacing their letters out in addition to number lines, timeline. Um, drawing it vertical makes uh, for a nice volumetric if we're teaching volume to a student. Mm -hmm. And so like a beaker has the lines and tells you, you know, how much water or something is in that beaker. You can also take that number line, draw it vertical on a piece of paper, and you can talk about, oh, this one has this much volume. This one has this much volume. And so we're teaching volume with the number line as well. We're teaching timelines. If you have a history lesson, you want to draw out a timeline, you can use the number line for that. So lots of fun That's uses awesome. for the ledgy liner. Yeah, I, I've really enjoyed, I, I, I take requests all the time from parents and we come up with new ones. Like I have a one called the worm line, which has the extra baseline. So the student knows where to stop they're J, G, Y, Q, and P. So when you're making a P and it goes below the line, you know where that line stops. So that's another one I have is a worm line. So oh, lots of fun, awesome. different um, things to do. There's 15 different stamps. There's some that roll out little pizzas for fractions. And you can use the small squares for the bar graphs oh. or for teaching ones, tens, and hundreds columns. So lots of different ideas on things in our website that uh, parents have um, contributed to like our Facebook or Instagram page as well. I love that. So, and I know I've shared with my listeners in a podcast episode ages ago uh, that, you know, maybe to work on handwriting skills, like even in a scrapbook or, you know, with your mm -hmm. art projects and things like that. So what right. I like about this is, Unlike handwriting paper, which if parents need handwriting paper, I have links to that in the article about handwriting, but you can use this in a lot of different places. You could integrate it into an arts and crafts project. You can integrate it into scrapbooking and, mm -hmm. you know, so your kids can write things, but they're also learning how to write properly. And, right. and I, I don't know if you know this, but I also teach piano lessons, like to a handful oh. of students on the side. I'm like, oh, this would be great for them too, you right. know, and I never actually thought about as a piano teacher as well, that we're working on, you know, these handwriting skills and strengthening right. and like my students do their Hannons and, you know, um, different exercises to really, where it's very much, you know, you're working on specific fingers of strength, the strength of specific fingers. So yeah. that's, yeah, there's just so many uses for this. So I think it's fun. And um, if you are a parent who is wanting to purchase this, Polly is offering my listeners and viewers, uh, my audience, basically a 10% discount. So if you use the link that's in the show notes below, 
you'll you'll get her products and you can buy one and you'll also get a, a discount for that as well. But and, um, and you know, it's one thing too I'd like to mention, just they are refillable ink. So as a mom, I wanted something that wasn't like thrown away into the environment and something that was reusable as well as saving money where an ink pod was our little ink pods are only like four or $5. And so that's um, something that they, the viewers should know is that you, the little ink pods, you can refill the inks and it's an oil-based ink. If the student leaves the uh, cap off, it won't dry out, but the kids enjoy making their own, lines they can put them on their if you have a paper lunch bag you can write the handwriting lines and they, they can write their own name on the paper lunch bag or their snacks you can do it in christmas card or birthday card oh. easter card whatever holiday it is you can draw the ledgy lines right directly in the card and the student can write their name for grandma and grandpa and it's just a fun way to really let the student take ownership of their own handwriting practice yeah, my kids would, we absolutely would have had this in our arts and crafts bucket <laughs> and in our school supplies. We would have probably had these all over the place Yeah, because we, we did this kind of stuff all the time when they were little. Uh -huh. So yeah, I think it sounds really fun and I'm looking forward to getting one and putting it in my piano bag. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what to do if your child, you know, it, struggled maybe they were in school prior to home uh to covid and now they're homeschooling and they fell behind in their handwriting or maybe you have a child who has special needs and mm -hmm. is struggling with handwriting they're just a later learner for whatever reason what are steps and interventions that parents can and maybe should take with kids who are struggling with handwriting skills um so i kind of have um a little handout that the parents can also have from get from you as well called the five keys to motivating handwriting practice. And those particular keys help the student no matter what age they are, but especially struggling students. And the first key is to make it meaningful. And so if they're writing about something they don't care about, then that's not going to incorporate um, improvement in their skill. Uh, if, if, somebody likes cars, then let's write about cars. One of the things that I, I mentioned before with my technology background is I have some ways to use technology as far as writing. So some, so many kids are motivated by technology that there are apps that you can just pull up a picture to write about. You can do typing um, on an iPad about writing. So even though we're talking about handwriting, we're also talking about the composition of writing. So as using the iPad or a, a phone or, or a computer as a um, parallel to the writing task will help motivate students a lot of times. So you want to make, you want to pick things that, uh, to make it meaningful to the student. So mm -hmm. if they like let's say they're really into nature, you could look up some nature pictures and they could write about each individual nature picture that they find. Um, in addition, I think it's the key number two is to make it challenging. So if it's too easy for the student, um, they're bored. If it's too hard for the student, you don't wanna overwhelm them. You may need to back off your challenge, 
But the basic is make it challenging enough for your student that they are starting to make improvements and they can feel good about themselves. We can give them a sticker chart and if they write five words, they get five stickers. You know, then, then maybe as they get better at their writing, then they have 10 words or maybe it's a sentence or two sentence. So you're giving them little goals within that handwriting task to challenge them. Um, maybe it's setting a timer. Maybe Johnny doesn't like to sit at the table. I know for my son, when he would do handwriting and, and his writing and his homework at home, we'd sit down at the table and my son would have been there maybe 15, 20 minutes. But his writing, nothing had happened. And what I started observing was um, the dog would go by and he'd get up and he'd go play with the dog and then he'd get back in his chair. Or, you know, he wanted a snack. So he would go get a drink of water and come back to his chair. And he would um, start writing with a pencil and it would break. And so then he'd have to go get a new pencil. And so having an organizational system ahead of time, having everything he needs and set a timer. Um, he would say, oh my gosh, I've been writing for 30 minutes. And actually he wasn't writing for 30 minutes. He was distracted <laughs> for 30 minutes, right? So setting a timer and giving him a boundary and just five minute increment. Okay, just work for, we, here's everything you need. Five minutes, we'll come back to it. And he started seeing in his own eyes I don't have to spend an hour on homework after we're done with our school day. I can do it in five or 10 minutes and then go out and play with my friends. And so that was a real like kind of self-motivating lesson for him to kind of be aware, self-aware of what he was doing when he was actually doing his homework. Yeah, right? there's so. actually a done point here if you do the work. Right. <laughs> it does not have to go on and on for hours right. on end. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know. I think that is important in handwriting and in all aspects for kids to have that understanding of when they're done, right. you know, that it doesn't have to just go on forever. That right. It can be a, I'm, I'm finished for the day. You know? Yes. Right. And I think in a homeschool world now, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I understand from other homeschool parents is learning takes place all day long, right? So there are some people that are new to your audience that are maybe trying to structure it after your their homeschool after the school day. And I listened to that in one of your podcasts where you talked about um, homeschool is not school at home. And so mm -hmm. I thought that was really fascinating because homeschool, you never really end your learning. I mean, it goes throughout the day. So just incorporating it and making handwriting and fine motor activities throughout whatever they're doing, you know, getting dressed requires buttoning and buttoning, you know, it's so easy to give a student um, Velcro shoes and pullover shirts, but let's put them in a button on a certain button up shirt on certain days and let them practice their buttoning. And yeah, it might take them longer, but they're learning those fine motor skills that are going to help handwriting. Yeah. And you know, one of those types of things that I thought of when you mentioned you used to peel the stickers off the sticker pad for your kids. I thought about that with me doing that with oranges. Um, you know, I would, I would peel the oranges and then at some point I'm like, I am so done peeling. Like my kids would eat two <laughs> or three oranges each. Right. So I would be peeled. I'm like, okay, I'm at least cutting them and they can peel them off the wedges. And then eventually they were peeling their own, you know, but yeah. And then like grapefruit, I would stand there and the same thing, I'd eat two of them or maybe three. And I would be like, I would always cut 
at, but then they could scoop it out. But, you know, at some point it's like, okay, you're old enough. You can handle the knife and cut <laughs> yeah, your right. little wedges out, you know? And yeah, because I never right. bothered to buy grapefruit spoons. But <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> yeah, the, but these are things where it's really easy as a parent to do it for your child. And the sooner they do things on their own. And even I, I'm thinking like laundry, your kids folding their laundry is probably really working on some of those fine motor skills. And I, I never viewed it from that perspective that this is actually a good skill to develop fine motor and not just responsibility. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I feel like I got a little off track here on helping kids with older, old, you know, who are struggling more. What, what else do you suggest as far as kids who are really struggling and, but they're a little bit older kids? Yeah. So I, I have extensive background with special needs. So students that have um, specific diagnoses, anywhere from down syndrome, autism, um, CP, uh, MD, whatever the issue might be. And there's a whole bunch of genetic diseases as well, genetic anomalies and things that we work with in the school. So, um, that student that maybe you gave up on handwriting a long time ago, it, it could be time to revisit it. You know, as the student is getting through their high school years, they need to be able to maybe sign their name on a document you know, depending on the level of the student and how low functioning or high functioning they are, don't be afraid to revisit something. Um, I worked with a student in high school, how to tie a tie and a different student, how to tie their shoes. And the parent was thrilled that they could actually wear dress shoes and tie them themselves. So I think it's never too late. It might be time to take a break sometimes and revisit it later. Um, so there's a, a little, in my mind, there's a little bit of difference between a struggling student that should be handwriting and an older special needs student that you've kind of given up the writing or, you know, gone to other alternative methods like typing or dictating or things like that. Um, so as far as the older student that's struggling, I think the biggest concern if your student should be able to write is legibility. And so the way I always talk about legibility is your student needs to write a composition, a, a paragraph, a sentence for a test or for a benchmark or for whatever reason. The other person on the other end of that essay needs to know how to read it. And so it might be letter spacing is causing a problem with their legibility. It could be letter closure it could be letter sizing. So even though your student is, let's say middle school, they don't wanna do the handwriting booklets anymore. They don't wanna do a lesson plan, but we can give them a handwriting line that's small enough. At, so with our ledgy liners, they start off at one inch and go all the way down to quarter inch. So with a student that's using a wide rule line, that's a three eighths inch, the quarter inch is a college ruled line. So that is a very appropriate line size for a student that might be in middle school. And what we're going to look at and teach them is spacing those letters or letter sizing. So it helps to look at an entire paragraph um, 
and see what is the problem that tends to repeat itself. So I had a student that the N's and the H's all pretty much look the same. But if we made that H just a little bit taller, it helped the legibility. Um, another student that their A, letter A, and their letter U looked very similar. And it was just about closing the top of the letter to make it look like an A versus doing a straight down line for a letter U. And so sometimes you can, as a parent, take a look at an entire paragraph and look for patterns. Oh, they're not closing their A. Oh, they're not making their H and their N differentiating in the size, you know, and then just focus on that one thing for that student. And that can really help their legibility and that'll help their confidence with writing as well. That's great. And I was actually the student who was not closing, <laughs> you oh. know, my A's. And honestly, to this day, my handwriting is sort of atrocious. But I uh, I really have to focus to have really good handwriting. But I do notice, it seems like for a long time, I don't know, anymore with technology, you don't just always use those handwriting skills. But when I'm coaching people or on an interview, I'm constantly writing and mm -hmm. yeah, that gets better. I've actually even thought about as an adult, just getting myself a handwriting book and working in it twice a week just to do better. And really it was because of my own research around handwriting and for homeschool think tank and for writing a blog post about handwriting that I was like, you know, I really should work on this more because it really helps with memory, with remembering what you know, and synthesizing, like when you're taking notes, I learned this through the research that you, you are synthesizing that information more. And when you're writing in cursive, you actually remember things better, which yeah. is fascinating. Like, I, well, and it's interesting that a lot of kids that struggle with handwriting do better with cursive because it's a continuous flow and it's the connection connecting the right and the left brain when they're writing. And so hmm. you'll see they're starting to actually bring back cursive writing, not so much for a grade in the schools. I know that homeschoolers, a lot of them do cursive writing and it's so beautiful and it be can become very artistic. And if you have a very creative child, they might really benefit from the cursive writing. Hmm. But it's important that when they're doing their activity that all those letters are connecting because then that flow will help come from their brain down to the paper. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to, this is sort of an aside here, but I want to notate this to the people who are listening. There is a blog post, homeschoolthinktank.com slash handwriting, where we'll have Polly's things, but there's a lot of other information. And what I did not used to understand is that there are a lot of different styles of handwriting and so when you think of like really beautiful um, handwriting, like your great, great grandmother had, that would be more of a Spencerian script. And maybe we're using more of a uh, Palmer method or there's various methods. And when you're teaching handwriting to your kids, I think it's really important to understand those different methods and choose one and stick with it because it, the transferability, it, you can't you can't go from teaching one method to another method because the way the letters connect are not the same. So definitely check out that article if you have questions about different handwriting methods. Since we're okay. talking a lot about this, I want parents to like, I know I have a different podcast episode, but that doesn't mean they've listened to it. I want right. to know that here. <laughs> it's something just so important for parents to understand because if you don't, 
it, you don't want to just go pick up a cursive book at your big box store in, this week and then next month pick up a different one because your kids are going to get confused. Yes. So um, I guess it's probably about time to wrap up our interview here. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to share with our listeners that, you know, just anything that you want to add before we wrap up? Yeah, sure. So um, one of the resources that I think we've talked about in the past that we're going to provide for your listeners is the dollar store list. So there are a ton of things you can get at the dollar store that can incorporate not just handwriting, but OT, um, fine motor activities and things to help your student with improving um, their OT needs. And there's sensory things and there's um, fine motor things. Uh, so I have a list of, I think there's over a hundred, see if there were over a hundred, we're very close. Oh, it's 60. <laughs> Maybe I'll right. add some That's more. Still a but lot. yeah, there's 60 different things that you can get at the dollar stores that can be used for OT purposes and for fine motor. And, you know, some of the things that are my favorites, things that people don't think about, like a colander. And so if you have a colander, you probably have one in your home, but if you flip it upside down, you can stick spaghetti in it and then you can put beads on the spaghetti, you know, something simple oh. like that, you know, that's a fun activity. Um, there's tops, uh, the, the little birthday aisle has, little tops that you can spin and it's that fine motor pinch a student will struggle to get that to work but keep working on it and eventually they can get the little snapping motion to make the top spin um you know there's things like shoelaces and socks you can use socks to dry to wipe off your dry erase boards you can get the dry erase boards there as well um, hole punchers and all sorts of school supplies you already know that are there. Um, shaving cream, you know, we can make letters and shaving cream um, that you can get dice there. Tongs, tongs are great for working on pinch. So beyond just pinching with the fingers, you want to use a tool to do pinching. You can use tweezers, you can use tongs, you can use the big salad tongs, you can use little tongs, you know, they have ones with cute little hands that you've seen when you go to somebody's house and they have a nice little vegetable tray with tongs. So there's all sorts of different tongs you can use. Um, ice cube trays are great for separating beads or for puff balls. They have the puff balls in the craft section. And so you can put puff balls in each ice cube tray. They, and always, this is my one of my um, kind of tricks, always work left to right when you're putting something in the ice cube tray, because then you're also working like left to right reading and left to right writing. Um, just lots of fun things, spray bottles. This. And um, if you go in the um, uh, automotive section of the, the dollar store, they have those headphones that are like noise canceling headphones. And it's a really inexpensive way to see if muffling the sensory noises and some kids are overloaded by sensory, but for a dollar, you can see if those noise canceling headphones, if they'd wear them and if they might help them and they're not as strong or as good as the therapeutic 
noise canceling headphones, but having something like that for a dollar on a trial basis, you know, it might be something that helps that student um, tolerate maybe an overwhelming situation. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, I could have used that once upon a time. I never <laughs> thought to do that except for like Fourth of July fireworks. We would pull out the those things for the girls, right. but right. You know, especially when they were real little. But I did not ever think about doing that with some things that are just noisier because we've literally left restaurants because they are too loud for my youngest. Yeah, um, yeah. because the sensory is just she can't take it. Um, right. So yeah. That and even amusement parks. Oh, I could have used that. <laughs> so Holly, <laughs> thank you so much. I yeah. am so grateful to have you on the podcast. You have, I have no doubt, helped so many parents through this interview and just provided people so much inspiration and so many ideas. So I want to remind our listeners, you can get Holly's products, the Leggy Liner, and your discount code at homeschoolthinktank.com slash handwriting or slash interviews. Either one will work. Um, you can find out about her course there, you know, her lesson plans um, and get more details there as well. And you can get the dollar store ideas. You can get that at homeschoolthinktank.com slash handwriting as well and just learn all that you need to know about Polly and learn how to engage with her more if you want to because she is a wealth of knowledge and you have brought so much value. I love having a guest like you because I feel like you're really helping my listeners and I thank really you. appreciate yes. it. So thank Thanks. you. That's it for this week. Live and learn your way. My name is Jackie and I am your host of the Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast. Bye-bye. I want to say thank you for listening to the Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd like to ask you to take a moment to follow this podcast and share it with a friend. Remember to check the show notes for a link to the article that corresponds with this podcast episode. In this article, we'll include any links that we mentioned in this episode. And remember that you can search all of the Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast episodes at homeschoolthinktank.com.